It's good to see you here tonight. We're going to be in Numbers chapter 11. I want to return to our series tonight, Pastor and Church. We've had a two-week departure. One week, Mike Young was here with us, and last week I addressed why we are returning to one Sunday morning service. But in the last two installments of this series, I have spoken on the need for us to be structured for efficiency and also structured for victory. Both of those were from the book of Exodus. And for tonight, I want to jump to Numbers. And we could keep this series going for quite a while. I don't know if this will be the last one. Because I'm afraid that even though the text may be different, the thoughts are going to kind of overlap to the point where it seems repetitive. And I don't want to do that to you. So this could be our last night. We'll just see how the Lord leads But let's get started tonight by reading verses 4, and I'm going to read all the way down through 30 of Numbers chapter 11. The Bible says, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers, and the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. The manna was, a, was coriander seed and the color thereof as the color of bellium. And the people went about and gathered it and ground it in mills or beat it in a mortar and baked it in pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. Amen. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout all their families, every man in the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them that thou shouldest say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father beareth the sucking child unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers? When should I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me. I pray thee out of hand. If I have found favor in thy sight, let me not see my wretchedness. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there. And I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. And say thou unto the people, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and ye shall eat flesh. For ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt, therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and ye shall eat. Ye shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month, until it come out your nostrils. Yeah. Anybody else getting that picture in their mind? And it be loathsome unto you. 
because that ye have despised the Lord which is among you and have wept before Him, saying, Why came we forth out of Egypt? And Moses said, The people among whom I am are 600,000 footmen, and thou hast said, I will give them flesh that they may eat a whole month. Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? The Lord said unto Moses, Is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and gathered the seventy men of elders and of the people, and set them round about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto him, and took of the spirit that was upon him, and gave it unto the seventy elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. But there remained two of the men in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, and the name of the other Medad. The spirit rested upon them. And they were of them that were written, but went not out unto the tabernacle, and they prophesied in the camp. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophecy in the camp. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men answered and said, My Lord Moses, forbid them. Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake, would God that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Moses got him into the camp, he and the elders of Israel. Amen. I just want to make some applications from this tonight. Obviously, we're not going to be able to digest all of this in one message. But we see early on in this chapter that there is yet another problem among the people. (laughs) And everybody in ministry said, Amen and O me. In verse 4, we are told that the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. This mixed multitude was first mentioned in Exodus chapter 12 and in verse 38 where it says, And a mixed multitude went up also with them in flocks and herds, even very much cattle. Now we're not told who made up this mixed multitude, but we know for sure it's referring to those who were not of the children of Israel. We can imagine how living through the plagues that God had brought upon Egypt would have had a profound impact upon many Everybody would have been impacted. And because of that, obviously some would choose to follow the Lord's people out. This mixed multitude was probably made up of many different backgrounds. We would think there would have been some that were Egyptians that came along with them. That makes the most sense. There probably were some that were dwelling in Egypt who had come from other nations. And they just happened to be living in Egypt at the time that would have followed the people out. Probably there would have been some intermarrying. You can imagine after dwelling in Egypt for some 430 years, as it was common to do with the slaves to marry some of the women. There was probably some intermarrying going on that came out. And maybe even some of these that had come out that were not of the children of Israel had actually been converted to God uh, through the Hebrews' influence. But in a crowd as large as what came out of Egypt, there no doubt would have been many who came along because they had a worldly interest. Everybody with me tonight? They would have followed along out because they realized that Egypt is now decimated. The plagues have wreaked havoc in the land. 
And they're watching as this unique group of people is being blessed by God. And I believe that there would have been many that came out because they're thinking, that's the ticket. That's where the blessings lie. That's how I can be taken care of. Now, I take no interest, uh, I take no issue with those who are among us that are not saved. I'm okay with that. There's nothing wrong with having that in some respects, and I may say it's a good thing because it means that we have an opportunity to influence and reach people. And, and the truth is that people who come in here are probably more susceptible to receiving the things of God than those that are still outside. So I, I think it can be a good thing. I'm not against that. I love having the visitors. But I want you to understand this tonight, that the church does not assemble together for the purpose of reaching the lost. Now for some of you that may sound very foreign. But that is not why we gather together Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. When we gather together, our primary objective isn't to see people saved. But when we gather together, we are doing so to be fed from God's Word, to praise God corporately, to offer unto Him the sacrifice of praise, to be exhorted, to be encouraged, and in some cases as necessary, even be admonished. That's why we gather. I'm not saying it's wrong for a preacher to preach against salvation on a church service. God may lead to do that because we do see a mixed multitude. There are many who are sitting in congregations today and they're going to slide off the pew and right into hell. So I'm okay with that to a certain extent. Check out the book of Acts and you'll see that the pattern of reaching the lost is to go out and proclaim Christ, lead them to the Lord, and then they are added into the church. They didn't, listen, when you study this, you'll find they didn't come to church to be saved. But they started coming to church because... They were saved. This is a major problem that we see with the seeker-sensitive movement that has taken place in our country. They have taken church, which is supposed to be pure and holy, and they have purposefully brought in the mixed multitude. Therefore, their church services are no longer really for the redeemed but they are tailor-made and geared to reach the lost. No, no, no. They are tailor-made and geared for the lost to make them feel at home on purpose. Lost people ought to come into church and feel a little uncomfortable. Not because we're being ugly, but because they don't have Christ, and we do. And honestly... Some of our independent Baptist brethren have unknowingly restructured their services in the same way. Because all they ever preach is salvation. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You know what in effect we have said in many of our independent Baptist churches? You are here tonight because we want to reach you for Christ. No, no, no. That's not why the church gathers. The church gathers because we are saved. I hope I'm communicating this properly. Because I'm all for welcoming people into our services. You know that. 
But we cannot structure our services to accommodate the lost. And we have to draw the line when it comes to membership. Membership's only for the saved and scripturally baptized. And I guess what I'm saying is this. The mixed multitude isn't to be an influence upon church affairs. Or how this church is conducted. Nothing wrong with them being here. I thank God for their attendance. But they do not get a say on how we do things. You see, the thinking by many today is if we can just make church palatable to the lost, then we will be able to reach more people. So let's yank out the choir. Let's bring up the praise band that has somebody represented from every walk of life, right? I love one guy was railing on this, and he said, you got the one got the one mom in her business suit because she's got a career. You got the other mom over there and she's got her little cleaning gloves on because she stays at home. And they're all up there praising God. You got to picture it, okay? I can see this is going over well. So um, the, the church was never instituted for the lost. The church was instituted for the blood-bought redeemed. And true spiritual things will never be palatable to the carnal man. They don't go together. Romans 8, 7, and 8 says, The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, because we have not compromised our gatherings by bringing the world's ways in here to make it more pleasing to the carnal man, what we tend to see, what we find... We tend to see what we find in our text here where some will come alongside of us for a season because they recognize God has delivered this group of people and God's blessing is upon another person's life. Are you with me? These people, a lot of these have come out of Egypt not because they're children of Israel, but because they are realizing that, wait a minute, their blessing, God's blessing is upon them. I want to be partakers of that blessing, and so I'm going to attach myself to them that I might be partaker. The problem is, when people do that, they are only seeing an outward manifestation of what has already taken place within the heart of the believer. And and we would say even tonight, that is continuing to take place, amen? Because none of us have arrived. God is still working on us. But the mixed multitude will never experience the same blessing until they go to the source of the blessing. And the source of the blessing isn't the church. The source is God. The God of the church. So we have to point them to Christ. Now, I took the time to say that to highlight what verse 4 says again. The mixed multitude among them fell a-lusting. You see, when we allow the world, the lost world, to be partakers of what isn't rightfully theirs, then almost without fail, it is the lost who will have a more profound impact within the church building. Almost without fail. When we start letting in the mixed multitude and gearing things and structuring things to please them, When we bring the world in, we end up becoming more like the world instead of changing them more like Christ. Amen. This mixed multitude 
fell a lusting. And when that happens, we got to be careful because what we kind of want to do sometimes is capitulate to that just a little bit because we want to be welcoming. We do want people here. At least I hope you do. I want every church chair filled every service. I, I, I do. That's, I would love that. And I think in our effort sometimes to be accommodating, we probably compromise. And we've got to be very careful on this issue. There, because the mixed multitude's lust, as we see in our text, it had a negative impact upon the children of Israel. In response to the mixed multitude, if you'll read verse 4 there, doesn't it sound like it was the mixed multitude that fell a lusting and then the children of Israel jumped on in on that? The mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? They had a negative impact. And what happened was they adopted the same cravings and desires as the world did. Amen. This is good preaching. I, I, yeah. We see that they lusted after food. You know, food has been such a major problem throughout the Bible. Both good and bad. Um, it's a huge topic in the Bible. You, you know, it was food that led to sin entering the world. It was food that led Esau to sell his birthright. But it was food that I think caused the prodigal son to go, wait a minute, I'm sitting here eating a husk and my father's got plenty of food. <laughs> Just saying, food's a big deal in the Bible. Amen, Adrian? <laughs> we see here in our text that their food is, problem is, uh, is a problem as well. But in this case, it wasn't because they didn't have any food. God had already provided manna for them. That's important to understand in this. God had already provided them manna. Their problem was they didn't like the food God had prepared for them. That's why churches are off the rail. I don't like that. What did God say? I thought it was still in the Bible that we are to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Amen. They just didn't like what God had provided. They wanted something else to eat. And so what do they remember back to? I remember back when I was in the world, I remember we had some garlic and some leeks and some onions and some melons and we had fish. You can apply that any way you want to the worldliness that's entered the church. They had enjoined themselves to Israel for their own personal advantage. They impatiently looked for the land of milk and honey that God had promised. But if you'll give it enough time, the mixed multitude will start to weed itself away from, be weeded out from among God's people. Give it enough time and you'll discover the heart of the one who's coming to church. This is why we see people blow in, blow up, and blow out. You see, people like the prospect of being partakers of the blessings of this church. They like the idea that this... I think I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me just go ahead and say it. 
They like the idea of seeing a marriage that's been together for 25 years and still going strong and they still love each other and are still happy despite the nitpicking I do. That's my love language is aggravation. Uh, People see that and they go, well, that's what I want. They may look at a family and they see a family where the kids are somewhat well-behaved and family dynamic is strong and people are getting along and they go, that's what I want. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And, and they'll look at these things and they'll say, that's the blessing that I want. And so they come in here wanting to partake of those blessings. But when they learn it only comes from a steady diet of God's manna, they all of a sudden begin to lose their taste for the things of God. And they lose their affection for God's people. And the taste of that old life comes back to their mind and those old lusts begin to set back in. This is where we as a church have to be careful not to allow the worldly lust into uh, the church house that would lead us to compromise. The mixed multitude's influence upon the children of Israel led them to weeping and crying out for meat. And in relation to our series on pastor and church, if you want to help the pastor, then when you begin to hear complaining about God's diet for His people, come alongside those people and explain the ways of God more perfectly to them. But don't get caught up in the compromise. Don't buy into the worldly ideas of the lost. I'm not being ugly when I say this but they're lost. What spiritual value can they add? If spiritual things are spiritually discerned, then why am I taking advice from my lost person on how I ought to be conducting church? But that's the movement that's going on out there. Go to the community, find out what they want. Why? They're not saved. So the lost might say, you know what, preacher, if you would uh, ditch the, the suit and tie, put on the skinny jeans and the, you know, look cool, as if I don't already. If you'd get the goatee going, I'm not against goatees, amen. I just look like I got the mange when I try to grow anything. Um, we got to be careful. What spiritual value are they adding, adding when they are dead in their trespasses and sins? And sometimes it may be those who say they are in Christ, but they are living in such a backslidden condition that their heart isn't right. These are the ones who will try to convince that the standard is absurd. Wouldn't it be better if we did things this way? Why can't we compromise just a little bit over here? You know, I've been, I've been noticing in our community, we've got this church over here, and they, they've got the, the band up there. They're rocking out a concert, and they're packed out, and the preacher's doing a little 15-minute sermonette without the pulpit on a stool. Doesn't even have his Bible up there, but he looks really cool. You know, maybe we should look into doing some of that because it's going to attract... Listen, I don't care what the world and what the backslider says. This is where the pastor needs you to step up and rally behind your pastor on his behalf. I don't get to hear everything. Typically, by the time I hear of things, the damage has already taken place. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You, as the congregation, should be in the business of restoring those overtaken 
in a fault. There should be enough mature Christians who can explain that the manna that God has prepared for us is far better for us in the long run so that we don't go lusting after what pleases our flesh. It was the mixed multitude who affected, who affected the congregation. But it needs to be the other way around. Imagine if Israel had admonished the mixed multitude and backed God and God's man instead. By the time this cause reaches Moses' ears, by the time this issue gets to his ears, it's already infected the entire camp. Notice the beginning of verse 10. Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. It's already in the whole camp now. Because nobody didn't step up that heard it first, have a little backbone and say it in the right way, but be able to go to them and say, no, no, no. I understand you've got those temptations, but you've got, to, you've got to get that under control because God's manna is what He has provided for us. And pastors need help dealing with problems in the congregation. In the letter that I include to our new members in our new members' handbook, I make this statement. Quote, Also, please don't hesitate to bring any concerns to my attention so they can be addressed in a timely manner and don't grow into major issues. We cannot be effective if we are divided, end quote. But as I've already stated, usually by the time it gets to me, it's already become divisive in the camp. And in many cases, if the congregation would help deal with what they see wrong, the issue would have been less impactful. Well, in verses 11 through 15, Moses has a bad day in the office. Say amen. I'm not going to preach this thought like I originally thought I would. I do want to say this, extend some grace to your pastor. There will be some bad days in the office. There will be some discouragement, anger, disbelief, and all the rest. But you have to understand that your pastor is just another man of like passions. I hurt. I struggle with my flesh. I won't get everything right. My response may not always be ideal. And believe me when I say I'm not trying to justify anything that's wrong. I'm just saying be patient, patient with your pastor because God is working on me. I'm just another person that needs help. He's working to grow me and to mature me. And ultimately, this is how God is using this situation in our text if you'll read it carefully. This issue caused Moses to hit a breaking point, didn't it? Moses is at the point of saying, Lord, just take me out. He's hit a breaking point, which believe it or not, is often a good thing for those who are trying to walk with God. Moses here confesses, I can't handle the burden of all this people. I can't do this by myself. I can't care for them like they need and want. I'm not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. I have a small booklet written by Paul Chappell and Carrie Schmidt entitled, Your Pastor and You. I'm considering adding that to our new members packet. It's a very short read. But it, I came across this statement, quote, if this church has 1,000 members, and I think they're well past that, but uh, it, if a church has 1,000 members, the pastor must watch over 1,000 people who get sick, 
upset, hurt, endure trials and afflictions. Along with this, every person in the church family is at different points of spiritual growth. Regardless of additional staff to help with the care of the church, the ultimate responsibility still rests on the pastor, end quote. So it is most definitely a heavy burden, but don't you know this is where God wants the pastor to be? And all of us for that matter, he wants us to the place where we hit a breaking point. We say, God, I cannot do this on my own. Why? Because the journey is too great for us. It's too great for us alone. The journey is too great. And we have to come to the place where God is the one we run to for help in every situation. Now, if you don't learn to be gracious to your pastor, you'll eventually leave an otherwise good church because you have set an unrealistic standard in your mind. There are qualifications in in the Bible. I got that. And if you are as spiritual as you claim to be, then why are you leaving so quickly just because the pastor may have said something in a manner you didn't like? Or addressed something you didn't really want addressed? I thought you were spiritual. Now, I realize there are some bad jokers out there, amen? I mean, there's some dudes that just need to be fired. And there are some situations where you just need to pick up your family and move on. But don't allow that to prevent you from attending church altogether. Unfortunately, I've seen it, and I bet you have too. But there will be this one isolated event, like Moses has here when he's having a bad day. And there'll be this one event where the pastor just has a bad day over the course of many years, and people will allow that one instant in time to define an otherwise healthy and thriving ministry. It's really quite sad when you think about it. We often see this in friendships as well. But what's interesting is we don't do this in our marriage. I I have heard that it's possible for husbands and wives to fight. I don't think that's true in our case, honey. But And listen, I, I bet you've had fights with your children. I'm guessing you've had bad days in your home. But you stayed with it, didn't you? Why should it be so drastically different with your pastor and those in church leadership? I believe we must always give space for our leaders to grow. Now, listen, this is not a braggadocious statement. But I I have never given up on anyone in our church. Ever. Ever. Anyone who's left, I've tried to get them all. Isn't that right, honey? I have tried. I have scratched and I have clawed and I have done everything I know to do. All I'm asking is you extend that same kind of grace. It'd be okay to say, you know what, preacher, I know you had a bad day, but I still love you. The truth is there are no perfect leaders outside of Christ. Now let's take note of how God deals with this situation. Not the food situation but how God deals with Moses' breakdown and Moses' admittance that he can't handle it all by himself. Would you notice verses 16 and 17 again? The Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. 
You see, Moses had just cried out to God that he can't do it. It was too much for one man. He said, I can't do this, cannot carry all the burden of this people. Clearly, this is something God already knew. But I kind of reckon God was waiting until Moses hit this point. God's remedy was for Moses to gather 70 men who were elders. These were the aged men among them who had learned over time the wisdom of walking with God and trusting in God. These were men who would have been deemed worthy of authority among the people. Just a side note to those of you who are aged among us. Did you notice here that God is not done with you? God is not done with you. Not in the least. In fact, God wanted the elders here to bear the burdens in spiritual matters. I don't believe God intends for you to be moving the chairs around. I don't believe God intends for you to have to cut the grass and all of these manual labor things. But listen to me, old timers. God is not done with you and He intends for you to be a spiritual leader that you can tell the people what is right and what is wrong. Don't jump to the mindset that you're too old to be used by God. Because you're never too old so long as you're here upon this earth. Your area of labor will change over time, but you are still usable. Well, in verse 17, God's intention was for these 70 elders to bear the burden of the people with Moses. So that Moses wouldn't have to bear this burden alone. You know, God is so gracious and so patient to us through our infirmities, isn't He? In His mercy, He doesn't upbraid Moses' bad day. I find that remarkable. And again, I think it just adds validity to the fact that what God is wanting is Moses to get to this point. Moses, I need you to get to the point where you realize I am what you need. Listen, this is another reason. Don't get mad at your pastor when he says, look, I've got to just take a break for a minute. God may be breaking me. God is so patient with us. He doesn't upbraid Moses, but God gives an answer and a solution to help Moses through his difficulties. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 15.1 says, When uh, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please our own selves. But we see in verse 17 that there was a very important aspect to their qualification. God says to Moses, I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee, and I will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. So for these 70 elders to be effective in helping Moses to fulfill God's call upon his life and to be effective in ministering unto the people, those 70 elders would need the Spirit of God upon their life. And we see in verse 22 that God did just this. Uh, Verse 24, And the Lord came down in the cloud and spake unto him and took the Spirit that was upon him and gave it unto the 70 elders. And it came to pass that when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, Did not cease. And what we need in our churches is what is largely missing across this land in our churches today. And that is some men that are truly filled with the Spirit of God. Those who are intoxicated with the Holy Ghost that will get alone with God, get filled with the Spirit of God, and be used of God in a very unique way. We're so complacent. Ephesians 5.18 says, And be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. 
One man can't always deal with an entire congregation. Especially when there will inevitably, inevitably be those who are among the congregation that are of a mixed multitude. In order to put down uprisings, it takes Spirit-filled men and women. In order to bear all the burdens, it takes some Spirit-filled believers. And no true man of God is ever going to feel slighted if there are those who get some limelight because the Spirit of God is upon them. We see later on in this account that there were these two men. They were not there at the tabernacle. We don't know the reason why. But because they're part of the 70, they still got the Spirit. They began prophesying. Joshua goes to Moses there in verse 28 and says, My Lord Moses, forbid them. Well, Joshua clearly misread the situation. He's mistakenly thinking these men were causing division and, or usurping Moses in some way. Maybe they're taking away from Moses' honor and Moses' authority. But look at Moses' response in verse 29. Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put His Spirit upon them. Any true pastor will be desirous for all of the congregation to have the Spirit of the Lord upon them. A church isn't about one earthly man, but it is all about Christ. And all honor, all authority, and all glory, and all majesty, it goes to the Lord. Therefore, my desire is that we would be a Spirit-filled church. I would love to have some more Spirit-filled men who can help bear the burden. We understand that we all will not be at that level, but we should all strive to be at that level one day. If you truly want to be effective in the Lord's work, and I hope that you do, if you really want to be a help to your church and your pastor, you must be Spirit-filled. It is the Spirit who gives wisdom to deal with the mixed multitude. It is the Spirit who gives wisdom to deal with issues within the camp. It is the Spirit which enables us to bear one another's burdens. And it is the Spirit which will give us the grace to be long-suffering with one another, even with your pastor when he has a bad day in the office. I can't be with all of our people all the time, but as you build relationships from within the church, you can be that Spirit-filled brother or sister who is helping others along. You can help put down issues before they become big issues. Spirit-filled people prevent little issues from becoming big issues. They take big issues and they make them small. Carnal people take little issues and they blow them way out of proportion. So are you walking in the Spirit tonight? Are you walking in the Spirit? Do you desire to be a Spirit-filled believer? Do you desire to be effective in this church? Then you must have the Spirit of God upon you. How do I get that? Luke eleven thirteen says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him. You know why we're not Spirit-filled? Everybody look at me, please. You know why we're not Spirit-filled? We're not asking for the Spirit. Isn't that what the Bible says? If you want the Spirit, ask. And if an ungodly father knows to give gifts to his children, my heavenly Father knows to give gifts to His children. Why are we not Spirit-filled? Why are we not seeing God do miraculous things? Because we're not asking. Well, I don't want to preach that. I do, but 
And I guess what I'm saying, this is not something that's out of reach. Sometimes we have so let the charismatic scare us away from what it means to be Holy Ghost filled that we think if we raise a hand, we're going to be condemned. We think if we say amen, it's going to be out of line. We think if we actually sing a hymn like we mean it, somehow we're going to be possessed with the devil. You see, you just have to ask God for the Holy Spirit as you hunger and thirst after righteousness. Let's pray.